Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. Ever wondered why we sing in church? Good question. I'd like to start off by saying we're talking about worship this morning. And uh, there's many aspects to worship. Honor, sacrifice, offering, adoration, service, singing. But singing is not the only aspect of our worship. You may have heard it said that worship is more about a life offered in devotion to God than a song sung on Sundays, perhaps. And yes, worship is all those other things, and it's not just singing. But have you ever wondered why we sing in church? I'd like to spend this morning looking at why we sing in church and spend this morning answering that question, why do we sing in church, and also what happens when we sing in church? So as much as singing is not all of worship, Singing is just as much a part of worship as every other aspect of worship. Why do we sing in church? Perhaps you get the community aspect of church. It makes sense. People get together. Everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to fit in. Everybody wants to have a place where they can feel safe. Community, love. Perhaps you get the good coffee and the drinks. Yeah, of course we're going to have coffee and drinks. I mean, you want to keep everybody happy. No one hangry people at church. Perhaps you even get the message. Yeah, I want to come, be inspired, be encouraged, learn from the word of God. Perhaps you even get those smiling, annoying faces. I mean, why does everyone have to be happy all the time? You walk in, it's just smiles everywhere. It's like, it's annoying, but maybe you get that, right? They're filled with the joy of the Lord on Sundays, but the rest of the week, maybe not. But anyway, that's another story. But when it comes to singing, what's the point? I mean, why do we have to spend more than half our service singing songs? Ever asked that question? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. It just so happens I have a message prepared on what happens when we sing that I'd like to share with you this morning. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at five reasons, general reasons why I sing and why I think we should sing. Then I'd like us to dive into scripture and look at three examples of singing in scripture and seeing what happens when God's people sang so that we can have a theology of singing, if you could say. Because I've found that when people understand the why behind what they're doing, They're more inclined to do it more passionately, with more fervor, and with more conviction. Perhaps we are not sure why we sing and what happens when we sing. My goal is that by the end of this meeting, we will be singing so loudly and so passionately, not just here, but in the shower tomorrow morning, in the car on the way to work, on the public transport, wherever it is that we'll be singing so passionately, because we're trusting for miracles to happen and God to break through on our behalf as we sing praise to him. So five quick reasons why I think we sing, three scriptural understandings of what happens when we sing, and then we're going to sing and see what happens. Okay, so reason number one, why do we sing in church? Well, if you look at it, it's woven through time. Song is woven through time. What do I mean by that? Well, in the creation account where God is creating the world, we see that song was very important there. How do we know that? Well, in Job, God's having this dialogue with Job, and he's basically asking Job this question, where were you when I created the earth, when I laid its foundations? And he puts in the this, this sidebar, where were you while the morning stars shouted and sang for joy? So it seems that as God was creating, there was a choir of angels singing. Perhaps maybe, excuse my poetic license, but maybe God's in there and all of heaven's watching and he's saying, right guys, I'm about to do some creating, some music please. Boom, music, and he begins to create. Perhaps. In the beginning there was song, it's woven into our DNA, into the very fabric of who we are, song. If you open your Bible to the middle, you have a book called Psalms. 
We read them, but they're actually songs. Songs to be sung, songs that are still sung. In the beginning, there was song. In the middle, there is song. And if you look to the book of Revelation, which there's a picture of the end of the age where we're surrounding the throne, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And what are we doing? We are singing. In the beginning, there is singing. In the middle, there is singing. In the end, there is singing. God's plan is that through it all, there is singing. Why? Because it's woven through time. Reason number one. Reason number two, why do we sing in church? Well, for me, we serve a singing God. Do you know that God is singing over you right now? In the book of Zephaniah 3 verse 17, it says, God's so crazy in love with you. He's mighty to save you, no matter what your situation. And he rejoices over you with singing and dancing. Now that's an interesting view of God this morning. I don't know how you felt about God when you walked in. Sometimes walking into church is very difficult because it feels like everyone can see your life story and it's hard. And if everyone can kind of see your life story as you walk into church and you feel shame perhaps or you feel far from God and you think, well, what does God actually think of me right now? Or perhaps you've never even met God and you're thinking if this God is so far out there and he's so good and holy and I look at my life and how maybe I've made mistakes in my life, what does God actually think of me right now? What does God think of me? Well, in actual fact, he's singing over you right now. He's singing the love song of heaven over you. Can you hear it? Can you see it? Can you sense it through the love of his son? He's singing over you right here, right now. In actual fact, not only do we serve a singing God as he's singing over us right now, but Jesus, when he walked the earth, fully God and fully man, he thought it important to sing as well. On the night before he was crucified, he's hanging out with his disciples. And of, you, would, you would think that in the night before you're about to die, that's the most important time you're gonna have with your people, right? And what does Jesus decide to do? He breaks bread and he sings a song. He sings a hymn with them. I wonder what his voice was like. I wonder what song they sang. But Jesus thought, important, thought it important to sing. I'm getting excited and I'm speaking really fast because there's a lot to get through for me this morning. Reason number three, why do we sing? Well, God commands us to sing. In the book of Psalms alone, there are 41 commands to sing. Uh, let's pull up Psalm 47 quickly. Psalm 47 says this, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For the Lord our God is King of all the earth, sing praises with understanding. In two verses, we are commanded to sing five times. The writer of that was pretty serious about singing. Why? And then he says, sing with understanding. That's intriguing. Sing praise with understanding. It means that I can sing praise and I can also sing praise with understanding. He commands us to sing. Reason number four why we sing in church, well, for me, it's a picture of unity. There are many different life experiences right here. There are many different uh, persuasions and beliefs in this room right now. There are many different life stories, and in actual fact, we're all in different stages of our journey with God. How different are we? Well, let's talk politics. We could have World War III in this room right now, and this is the church. Don't worry, I'm not going to go there. But when we sing, all those differences are put aside because suddenly all those different voices become one voice. And we have one heart, one mind, one passion, one purpose, one desire to lift Jesus up. We sing with one voice and that's a picture of unity. And how many of you know that the Bible says where there is unity, God commands his blessing. Who came for some blessing this morning? I'll take whatever they don't want, Lord. I'll take it all. Fifth reason why we sing, and for me, this is the most compelling reason why I sing, is that I have a reason to sing. 
I have been rescued out of darkness and brought into his marvelous light. I was once God's enemy, but while I was still in darkness and still in my sin, he chose to rescue me. I did nothing to deserve my salvation, but he saw me and he said, I love you and I want you. And he has redeemed me. He has received me. He has renewed me. And he has given me a hope and a future. I have a reason to sing. I feel like singing right now, but we've got to get through some stuff first. Is the passion rising? Is there faith being stirred this morning to sing to our God and King who has rescued us from the grave? Woo! Drop those coffee cups during worship, everybody. It's time to praise the Lord. I just went there. All right. Three reasons why we sing. Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Now, each of these three things I'm about to share could be messages in themselves, but I want to touch on the important aspects of it for this morning's meeting. But we need to understand something quickly, that God is sovereign. I'm about to share that singing unlocks things in our lives, and and we can see miracles through our singing, but singing is not like this magical genie lamp that we rub every time we want something from God. God is sovereign. He is the king of all the earth, and that's why we sing praise, not so we can get stuff. But the word reveals that God has chosen to partner with man and woman who are set after him. He says, I will do this, but you need a partner and play your part. And singing is one of those things he commands us to do and he expects us to do. And as we sing, things happen. Three things, let's look at them. Second Chronicles chapter 20. The first thing that happens when we sing, God brings victory. Let me set the context. Is, uh, God's people are in trouble. They have... They hear the word that a mighty army is coming against them, a massive horde. Three nations, to be precise, have ganged up on Judah at this time. God's people are in trouble. They're afraid. They're led by King Jehoshaphat at the time. You might think, well, God's people, they had God on their side, therefore how could they be afraid? Well, there's two things to note here. In the history of God's people, this is nowhere near their strongest they've ever been. Under King David and under King Solomon, the kingdom was fu- their kingdom was fully established. They were a world power. They were wealthy. They were the head and not the tail. And everybody feared them because their lives were in line with God. But what happened after a succession of bad kings, they turned from God. And every now and again, there would be a good king, but for the most, there were bad kings. And it led to Israel being exiled, and it led to Judah being all on their own. And at this stage, Judah is weak. Jehoshaphat loves God, but Judah is weak. If you were to think three on one is never a fair fight, just think that small child at the playground, and three of the biggest bullies come up against him. That's what it's like right now. And how do they respond? And I wonder how many of us feel like that, that life or the enemy is coming against us, that it's an unfair fight, three on one. We feel weak, we feel intimidated, and we know the devil's trying to come and shut us down. He's trying to destroy us, and the Bible makes it clear that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And some of us may be facing things at the moment where we know the enemy's trying to take us out. How does God want us to respond? Well, let's look at what his people did. It's quite crazy, actually. Verse 18 Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. All the people worshiped. It's something to be said when a group of people in unity all worship. I wonder what Sunday would look like if we all truly worshiped. We read on and it says, then some of the Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel with a loud voice. There is something to be said this morning about volume. Volume is directly proportionate to passion and conviction and what we believe in. 
When I believe in something wholeheartedly, you cannot keep me quiet. You cannot keep me silent. Let's talk about politics again. Let's talk about sports again. Wow, see how vocal and see how loud and see how proud we are. When it comes to singing, how loud are we singing? We're not singing loud to impress one another. We're not singing loud to impress God. We're singing loud because we believe in the power of praise. What happens next? Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. Now, this is the crazy part of the story. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love and joys forever. We can read that and think, well, that's quite nice. He sent out a choir. The enemy is coming against them. First of all, they don't wait for the enemy to come. They go to meet the enemy. And Jehoshaphat decides to send the singers out in front of the army. Now, how does that make sense? What type of military strategist is he? Or maybe he's actually quite clever. The artists and musicians, perhaps they're seen as expendable. I'm an artist. Send the singers out in the front. Let them distract the enemy and let them waste their ammo on the singers and we can make our escape. I'm I'm a singer. I would be out in the front there. I thought we were... Or perhaps he understood, like David said, God, you surround me with songs of deliverance. Perhaps he understood that there was power in his praise, that in actual fact, what was more important than them trying to fight the battle was them to position themselves before God and praise and sing him and say, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We're gonna worship you. We're gonna trust you to win the battle. Sing when the enemy comes against you. Why? Because God wants to bring a great victory. See what happens. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Manseer who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. They were defeated. When the enemy comes against you, God wants you to sing so that he can lead you into a place of victory. I don't understand why singing. I mean, I like a good fuss, but the Bible reminds us that it's not against flesh and blood that we wrestle, but it's against spiritual powers and authorities. It's easy for me to fight in my own strength, but when I position myself in a place where all I can do is sing, All I can do then is trust God to bring the battle, to win the battle. There is power in your praise. When the enemy comes against you, God wants you to sing and he wants to lead you into victory. And the very things that the enemy had planned for Judah, God turned on their heads. It says, as they began to sing. One thing we can notice from the story and apply to our lives is this. They had a battle coming, but they saturated the battle in prayer, worship, and praise. It's not just the actual fighting of the battle where we need to be praising. They settled it and saturated the environment with praise. They saturated the the atmosphere. For us as a church, when the enemy would come and try to shut us down and try to rob us and try to stop what God is doing in us, what do we do? We create an atmosphere of praise and of worship. Every Sunday we sing with all our passion. In our connect groups we sing, in our devotions with God we sing. Why? Because he's worthy and also we know that as we sing, he brings victory. What has the enemy got planned for you? God wants to turn it on his head as you sing praise. There is power in your praise. Isaiah 54. So the first thing that happens when we sing, God brings about victory. 
The second thing that happens is God brings about fruitfulness and increase. Isaiah 54. Let's turn there. Let's read that. Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. In your barrenness, sing. Burst into song. I don't know about you, but when things are difficult, I, I don't feel like singing songs. Well, I, I feel like listening to songs. I feel like listening to sad songs. Or I feel like listening to mad songs. Or I feel like listening to songs that make me mad for making me feel sad type of songs. I don't really feel like <laughs> praising and praying. But in the barrenness of this story, God says sing. And not only sing, burst into song and stretch out with an expectation that God is about to come through. In a moment, I want to talk about the power of praise. But let's put this in context. Isaiah is speaking to God's exiled people. They've been in exile, and God is promising them that when they return, things are not going to be like they were. They were barren. God is saying, I have a promise for you. I have a plan and a purpose for you. And it's going to stretch out, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be beautiful. Do not fear. You see, God's people were in shame. They were disgraced. Because of their sin, they turned from God and they found themselves away from God in exile. But God said, I have a plan and I'm bringing you back. Let's look at the picture that Isaiah uses. He uses a picture of a barren woman. Barrenness means emptiness. We may not be this barren woman, but we could be emotionally barren. Ever felt like you're just going around the mountain again and again and again? Perhaps you're spiritually barren. Maybe you haven't even met with God yet and you haven't put your faith in him yet and you realize inside you're just spiritually dead and you're in need of a savior. There's hope for you this morning. But if you've been going around the mountain and you're saying, God, I need breakthrough, he says, sing. See, this woman, that, that, that the picture of this woman is one born into Middle Eastern society which was patriarchal, very patriarchal. The woman's value at that stage, not now, at that stage, this is not God's view, this is what the medieval, Middle Eastern society's view was. She was, her value was barely above livestock. And her value was seen in her ability to produce offspring, particularly a male heir, to continue the family name from generation to generation. So this woman, not only is she born a woman in a society and in a place where women are not valued, but she's barren. The very thing that would give her worth is taken away. She did not choose to be born a woman at that time, and she did not choose to be born barren. Perhaps one could say that this poor woman has life against her. Everything in life is not set up for her. Maybe that's how you feel at the moment. Everything in life is against you. What does God want you to do in that moment? He wants you to sing. Sing in your barrenness. Sing in your need. Sing in your emptiness, and then sing with expectation because God's about to stretch you out and he's about to grow you. When life is against you, sing because God wants to bring increase and he wants to bring fruitfulness. This is the power of praise. The enemy wants to shut us down and he wants to keep us quiet. He wants us to focus on the mountains that are in front of us. Because he knows the more we focus on the mountains in front of us, the less we are going to focus on how to overcome those mountains. And perhaps you've got a mountain in front of you this morning. Perhaps something in life or the enemy has come against you and it seems impossible. And I can guarantee that the enemy has told you every reason why that mountain is impossible to overcome. That's what he does. He surrounds us with lies. He tries to shut us down because he wants to destroy us and keep us away from God. 
And the mountain, the more I look at it, whatever that problem may be, it becomes bigger and bigger. The more I go around the mountain, it seems like I'm digging a trench and it gets bigger. And I think, oh, I eventually give up. God, I could never, I could never solve this. I might as well just give up. See, the power of praise teaches us not to look at our mountain or not look inside to try to overcome that mountain, but it teaches us to look up. And as we look up and praise, you see, when we praise, the object of praise is never ourselves. Praise, God gives us praise, the power of praise to lift our eyes to see him. And as we see him, as we begin to declare who he is, we remember what he has done for us. We remember who he is. We remember that our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is higher than any other. We remember that with God, we can do all things. We remember that if Christ is in us, all things are possible. We remember great is he that is in me, that he that is in the world, and suddenly we get heaven's perspective. That is the power of praise. The mountain maybe doesn't disappear. Tomorrow morning, it's gonna be there but you get heaven's perspective as you praise because you know God's not gonna leave you. He's not gonna forsake you. Why? Because he is faithful to his word. You get heaven's perspective. Another element of the power of praise is this, is that praise is a negativity killer. We've all got that person, maybe we hang around and we talk to them and afterwards we feel like we need counseling because everything's so negative. (laughs) Perhaps you feel like that's you at the moment. The, The stories that you're speaking all the time are negative. The devil's plan is to keep you in that cycle of negativity. Praise enables us to get heaven's perspective and to speak life and truth over that mountain. Who are you mountain that you should not bow before the Lord my God? And you know what? I might spend the rest of my life trying to defeat you, but you know what? You were defeated at the cross. And mountain, you will not be in heaven with me and Jesus for the rest of eternity. You will be somewhere else. And I may struggle with you my whole life, but you know what? I've already overcome. Because Christ overcame it all at the cross. And this is the good news of the gospel this morning. Whatever you are facing, whatever is coming against you, Jesus defeated it at the cross. He made a public spectacle of the enemy triumphing over him at the cross. And you need to remind your mountain who your God is. Your mountain may be big. It may be bigger than you. It may be impossible. What an opportunity for God to be glorified. What a reminder that the enemy is dead when he leads you in victory. And it may be in 100 years from now that you actually finally get your breakthrough. This, this picture of this woman, sing, O barren woman. It was years before that, was, that prophecy was actually fulfilled. But God still said in that moment, sing, in your barrenness, sing. In your barrenness, will you sing this morning and allow God to bring the fruitfulness and increase that he wants to? Would you sing with faith and expectation saying, God, I'm gonna sing knowing that you're gonna come through because you always do. Sing, O barren woman, when life is against you, sing because God wants to bring increase and fruitfulness. When the enemy comes against you, sing because God wants to bring victory. And the third point this morning, please turn to Acts chapter 16. When we sing, God wants to bring freedom and salvation. God wants to bring freedom and salvation. I'm getting ready to sing, I don't know about you. Paul and Silas are preaching the gospel in Philippi. They're doing exactly what God told them to do. They are faithful. They're preaching the gospel. Circumstances are great. They're seeing responses. They've got a captive audience. Then all of a sudden, that crowd turns on them. It's an unfair fight. Once again, it was an unfair fight for Jehoshaphat and Judah. It was an unfair fight for this woman God commanded to sing. In her shame, in her brokenness, he said, sing. It was an unfair fight. And for Paul and Silas, it was an unfair fight. And let's see what happens to them. They were preaching the gospel, fulfilling God's will. And all of a sudden, the crowd turns. In verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack. 
Oh, the enemy loves it, turning a crowd against you. Paul and Silas and the magistrates, uh, sorry, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten, humiliated. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Remember prison break, the guy with the tattoos and he always got out? This is the prison you can't get out of. The guy with the tattoos was nowhere to be found for Paul and Silas. What would you be doing? What would your response be? In the midnight moments of Paul and Silas in their ministry career, they were doing what God had told them to do. They were faithful and all of a sudden circumstances change. Ever been in that place where you're doing what God told you to, you're being faithful, you're not doing anything wrong and all of a sudden circumstances are just against you and it just doesn't make sense? God, I thought that when I put my faith in you, life would be smooth, plain sailing. That's what they said on TV. They told me that it would never be wrong again, that I would never have need again, that it would be easy. Here's Paul and Silas. Perhaps when circumstances turn, how do we respond? Perhaps, let's read in 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were moaning and groaning and complaining to God, saying, where are you when it hurts, oh God? Only had five likes on that Instagram feed. God, where are you? It was a good picture. And I put scripture in it, Lord. No, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Let's stop there. In the midnight moments of your life, what is your response? I love saying, God, display your glory through my life when it's going well. It's amazing to have a testimony. Man, did you see what God did? He answered my prayer. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? It's amazing. We sing when we're winning. It's easy to sing when we're winning. The testimony, oh, look what God did for me. Oh, it's amazing. But what about the midnight moments where, <laughs> God, where are you? It's almost like, God saves those moments to put us on display. And this is why. Let's read that next line. This should shake us to the core. They were singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Your life is a song. And every day people are listening to it. Prisoners, wherever you go, are listening to the song of your life. What is that song? Is it in the negativity cycle? Was it in the praise God? I will trust you forever, God, even though I don't see my breakthrough coming. The prisoners are listening. The prisoners are listening to your song. Why do we sing in church? We sing because when we sing, God brings victory. We sing because God brings fruitfulness and increase. And we sing because God brings freedom. Look at what happens next. The other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, all the prison doors flew open. Say, all the prison doors. With passion, people, all the prison doors. Yes. And every chain came loose. There's a bit of passion here this morning. Isn't it amazing that as they are worshiping, everybody's chains come off? Sometimes I sing just because I know some of you need freedom. And as I'm singing and leading worship, I know that God is setting some of you free. And I'm trusting that when I need freedom, you're singing because you know that your song can set me free. And I'm trusting that we're singing praise during the week because wherever we go, God can set other people free through this. 
This is why we sing, it's not just for us. It's not just for my victory, not just for my fruitfulness, but my song can see someone saved. The song of my life can see someone saved. I have a friend who a few months ago, he got the bad news that he's got tumors everywhere. And he's on treatments and, and things are looking great, but they're also not looking great. And he said it's amazing how in this dark moment he's reached so many more people that he lost touch with over the years. In the midnight moments, God's using his story to see others come to know him. Don't be afraid of the midnight moments, as painful as it may be. We all have those midnight moments. I wonder if Rachel could come and play and if the band could come up. We're going to sing in a moment. The beautiful story is that the jailer wakes up and he sees all the prison doors open and he's about to kill himself because if he knew if anyone escaped, it was his life or theirs. And Paul shouts, stop. The beautiful story is not only are people set free, but the jailer and his whole family get saved. Because of their song, I'm inspired to sing more and more. And if I were to be honest with you, the first thing that happens with me in my walk with God when the enemy tries to distract me and he comes against me is the temptation to stop singing. You don't have to sing well. That's why the Bible says make a joyful noise. It's not about your ability. It's about saying, God, I'm going to partner with you. I, I stop fighting when I'm singing because I'm trusting you. I'm positioning myself to trust in you, God. I wonder if you can please play, Rachel. In this moment now, I wonder if we could close our eyes. God, thank you that you're right here right now, closer than our breath, closer than our heartbeat, closer than our very skin. For those in this room who have not yet met you, thank you that you've been singing your love song through this whole meeting, God. You're reaching down and you're saying, you can trust me, I want to save you, I want to make you new. While all eyes are closed, if that's you and you've never put your faith in Christ, you're saying this morning, I'm putting my faith in Christ. If that's you, I wonder if you could raise your hand. Is there anyone here who wants to put their faith in Christ for the first time? be my joy and privilege to pray with you. This is why I live. This is why I breathe to see people meet with Jesus. Is there anyone here? Right now, there's a tugging in your heart saying that you know that's you. Let me make it a, a, a different call. Perhaps you have known God and you have committed your life to God before, but you realize that this morning you are far from Him. And you say, God, I've lost my song. The enemy's stolen my song, but I know that this morning you want to give me back my song. If you're far from God and you're returning to Him this morning, while well, all eyes are closed, please... Just raise your hand just so I can see who I'm praying for. Some hands going up. Thank you. You're not responding to me. You're responding to heaven. You say, God, I'm coming home and I'm going to sing that song loudly and passionately. I'm going to praise your name, Lord God. And even if I don't see the breakthrough, I'm going to trust you. Thank you for every hand that has been raised. God, right now, I pray for them that your presence would be so real, God, that you would be the ultimate reality in this room. More real than what we feel right now, more real than our circumstances, more real than our situations. That you would come and you would bring victory as we sing. You would bring fruitfulness and increase as we sing. Oh God, and you will bring freedom and salvation as we sing. Gonna sing to you, sing to you, Jesus. We sing heaven song. Oh, we're going to sing to you, Jesus. If you wait, we long. It's going to be challenging now, but I'm going to encourage us. There's no words on the screen. There's just music. I'm going to encourage us to just sing. And then we're going to sing a song that we all know so we can sing passionately. But just sing your song to God. How we love you, Jesus. How we love you, Jesus.
Thanks again for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us.